Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy Kevin Luco. And this week, we are honored to welcome back a, a, a favorite guest here on the show, Sioux City Explorers Manager Steve Montgomery. Steve, thanks for coming back and joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Well, let, let's continue our series looking back at the 2022 season. I, I know a disappointing one for you. So just kind of at the, to start out, what, what are your overall thoughts on, on how the season went for you, did you think? Well, I mean, obviously there's disappointment because, uh, you know, everybody's going to look back to the three games against Lincoln uh, at the end of the year. And uh, realistically, you know, we gave one uh, we gave one away Saturday and gave one away Sunday, and they just beat the tar out of us on, on Monday. But, uh, you know, that's not what I look back at and say, oh, that's why we didn't make the playoffs. I mean, what about the other 97 games and stuff? You know, I, I can't reiterate enough, and I say it to you all the time when we're talking, uh, not on the show or just on the phone, that, you know, game one is just as important as game 100. And, uh, you know, I thought that at, by the end of the year, um, we had become a pretty darn good team. Um, you know, we made that run late July into August. And I just thought that, uh, you know, by the, by the finish line, we had spent so much energy, um, so much uh, of our of our, you know, stamina to get back and get in that race and catch Lincoln and then pass them. And um, I, just, I just thought we ran out of gas. And uh, um, it's just unfortunate. I thought I had a team at the end that could maybe make some noise um, in the playoffs, you know. I felt like I had two dominant starters in a short series, um, which all of them are 3-3-5. Three, three, um, you know, you're talking about a, a situation where we maybe we can throw Povareco and Nivaldo, uh games one, two, games one, two, games one, two, four, five, because both of them recovered so well that both of them could be available on short rest. And uh, I just thought that, you know, if we could sneak ourselves in, we had a shot, but it wasn't to be. Um, you know, overall, um, you know, we we had some good individual performances. I thought, uh, you know, you know, you look at Max Kuhn's second half of the year where he gave up one run um, in the whole second half of the year, really uh, became the Max Kuhn's of uh, 2021 again. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just overall, just obviously it's heartbreaking and gut-wrenching for me um, just because I pride myself so much on uh, – on making the playoffs and 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 producing a good team um, on and off the field, so a uh, little bit gut wrenching for me. But um, you know, a year that uh, you know, uh, you know, me personally was very strenuous on me. But uh, um, you know, I'm not going to get into all that. But uh, it's a season where I- I'm glad to put behind me and let's move forward uh, to the 2023 season. Well, I want to ask you because I, I've been around you a long time now. I mean, I, I, I've joined the league here covering this since in season two. Actually, season one for you, I think, as a matter of fact, now uh, as as a manager in Sioux City. And, uh, you know, I thought of all the seasons you, you've had here, you've had better records at times, gone further in the playoffs. 
but I thought the job you did, because you were continuously rebuilding this team as the season went along. I mean, it was the moves you were making. I, I was like, wow, that man, that's a great move right there. I, I talk about a little bit with us about how you come to get from this guy's not working for us and, and I need to work this area. I need to improve this area. And then how you find guys like that. Well, I thought this was, uh, you know, one of my better procurement uh, in-season moves that I, than probably I've ever had. Um, you know, we were able to add a couple pieces here, a couple pieces there, and then dive into there and then go grab another one from there. So there was a lot of moving pieces for me. And it was in a year that um, I think if you, you know, obviously you talk to a lot of managers, Rob, there wasn't a lot available. And I was able to get a couple pieces like a Pobreco, a Nivaldo, um, a, a Miguel Sierra. Um, you know, we added Dan Reese Vasquez. We added Rifiala. Um, you know, that uh, it, was, it was an opportunity um, and, and, and just really scouring all over the world trying to find the next, the next best available guy. I mean, that's what it came down to, just – you know, we were turning over rocks. We were looking under bushes. I mean, I think every manager was in the same boat we were in this year and trying to find the next the best available guy. And, uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, a Milwaukee, uh, Fargo, Kansas City, and uh, I don't know who the other one was on the – oh, Cleburne. Um, you look at the core group, right? The core group was really the same. And if you really dive into it, you look at the two best records in the league, Kansas City and or um, Fargo, that core group was there all year. And they didn't have to go out into the real world. They got it right from game one all the way through. And, uh, you know, we were able to make a couple moves. Um, that we felt as though uh, not only made sense on the salary cap, but uh, made sense in us getting the production we needed out of that position. And uh, I don't know, it was uh, <clears throat> probably one of my better better managerial jobs. And it's crazy to think about that when you're 49 and 51 because, um, you know, uh, my 75 and 25 years and my 70, whatever we were, 71 and 29, that was basically writing the same lineup down every single day and just watching them play. Uh, this year was a lot more behind-the-scenes things that the average fan doesn't see, uh, really, uh, you know, getting on the phone, making phone contacts and uh, or calling your contacts, I should say, and, and really – trying to find the next best available player. And uh, we did a pretty good job at that. We became a good team. It's just, you know, uh, you know, maybe we did it. Um, maybe we did things a week or two late. But, uh, you know, my loyalty runs deep for people. And, uh, you know, sometimes my loyalty gets in the way. But uh, at the, in the end, you know, uh, job accomplished for me. We played meaningful baseball in August. And uh, we were in a, you know, we were in a playoff chase. And that's what it's about. Do you feel like you have a core of the guys that finished the season with you that have a, have a sense of, well, we need to come back next year and finish a job? Do you feel like you can get a lot of these guys to come back and try to build on what you built in the last half of the season? 
No, I really don't. Um, I think it's going to be a whole new rebuild. Um, you know, we've uh, I've been talking to some players and stuff, and you know, there were there were situations that uh, that came about um, that you know the players don't know how to take it or what to think about it, and uh, they're up in the air on whether they want to come back. So I really think that I'm going to have to rebuild this from scratch. Um, I think it's going to be uh, a lot younger group going forward. Um, you know, you might have your, you know, you, I'm trying to convince some of my mainstays, but uh, um, I really I really believe that this will be a rebuild year um, for us uh, as far as uh, getting everything. And, and, you know, the other thing that, that I think you're going to see rampant in the league now is that we have a bunch of players from our league playing Mexico winter ball. And I think you're going to see the Mexican summer league really raid a lot of our teams. And, uh, you know, how do you tell a guy that you signed for 1800 can go to Mexico and make eight grand, six grand a month? How do you tell them? Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a chance for them to go down there and make, you know, six grand, seven grand a month for five months, um, put that money in the bank and, uh, have an opportunity to have a little, nest egg in the savings account so i think you're gonna see a a big influx of our players leaving the league and going to mexico and it's um i don't don't think it's going to hurt the brand of baseball i think it's just gonna uh make us go out and, and find the next best available guy do you feel like because of that you know, potential way working, you know, the, the players deciding to go to Mexico, that, that it, it's, a, it's a smarter idea to just simply go out and, you know, hey, I just need to be younger. I, I, before I even get into next season, my, my, my focus should be on looking to get younger guys that might not be as, as amenable or, or excited about, you know, the Mexican leagues aren't going to be chasing after. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're, I mean, let's be honest. I think every manager is looking for that double-A, triple-A guy. Um, you know, maybe a former big league guy to fill that veteran role. Uh, but you know, our, you look at the teams that have the most double A and higher, uh, talent level are normally the teams that are buying at the end for something special. So, you know, we have to still set our goals and set our sights on those type players. It's just a matter of, um, you know, it's that fine line. You want them to do really good, but do you want them to do, you know, 365, 375 good so that Mexico comes calling? Or would you rather them, you know, be like that 350, 315, 320 where, you know, Mexico isn't getting real excited? So um, it's that fine line you walk. But in the end, in the end, that's what we do. In the end, that's that's exactly what we do. We get these guys a better opportunity, whether it's in Mexico or whether it's in a major league organization. Um, that's our job as, as managers. And, you know, sometimes what gets lost is our personal wins and losses. And, uh, you know, I'd rather, I, I say it all the time, you know, I'd rather be 50 and 50 and, and sell eight guys back rather than be, you know, 70 and 30 and sell one. So, um, yeah, the 70 and 30, it's great for the media. It's great for everything. But at the end of the day, um, if I move eight, eight guys back, um, that's a pretty special year. Focus on that part of it. 
you've, you've had a great reputation over the last five, six seasons. One of the top two managers, top three for sure, in terms of sending guys back to affiliate ball. With the challenge of trying to get, there's there's not the same availability of players as you mentioned. You're not, you know, getting nine AAA guys aren't off a of roster. It seems like every week, like we've seen in seasons past. What is it like for you to try to go out to get those guys that you want to come in and and help build a, a team for you, and then trying to get guys back to affiliate ball when it seems like the 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 flow between the two leagues of affiliate and independent baseball is really not the same this past season. Yeah, well, when when you think about it, when when you really get down to, you know, what does the average fan see? What does a guy read into Major League Baseball? So when you had this contraction, right, everybody in their minds was thinking, oh, there's going to be a whole bunch of players that are available, okay? But what ended up happening is, is they cut the draft down to 20 rounds. So now they cut 20 players that are getting drafted and getting an opportunity in pro ball. They cut those 20 out. So that's 20, 20 guys per team. So now we're looking at, say, 30 teams, easy math, 600 players that were getting drafted. They might, they might sign, they might not, but let's just say 450 of them signed. So 450 of them go into an organization, okay? So now... The, the Major League Baseball teams can, con can contractually hold 180 players. That's it. Well, you go back a couple of years, you look at the Yankees, they were contractually holding 260 to 270 players. Okay? So all those players, when you get down to 180 and you cut the draft down, so now you're talking about probably – you know, the Yankees having an extra 30 or 40 people that they're going to release just because, one, they have another draft coming up. Uh, two, they're, they're on the bubble boards and stuff. The bubble boards aren't as deep because there's not enough rounds of the draft to enable us to make a bubble, bubble board. So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, they, there's, not a, there's not a lot of minor league teams. And I think that's why you're seeing, um, you know, we, we the market kind of, steadied itself. If you go back a few years um, and look at how many players we sold in 2019, right? It was like 19 players. I think this year we sold 19. But you look at 2021 and and how many we sold, it was, a, it was an anomaly. I mean, we sold like 50-some players. But why did we sell 50-some players? Because you had the COVID year of 2020. You had all the injuries coming in and leading up and want strict pitch counts and everything like that. So we sold a lot of players. So I think everybody got lost in, oh, well, we're going to get raided again. Well, the market kind of set itself again. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it tough because there's not as many releases coming out. Like, I remember get days back in the day where literally we would get 75 to 100 players released in a day. And it was fun, man. You would start going through lists and, I mean, you'd be making 35 phone calls within an hour period trying to track this guy who knows that guy and that guy knows this guy and you're just you're working the phones and everything now you get a release list of 10 and you're excited you're like oh yes i get to look up 10 well back in the day it was 75 to 100 and uh that's what that's what makes this job very difficult and then you compound that with the frontier league with 14 teams 
The American Association has 12. Atlantic League, I think, is down to eight again. Our Lexington's getting ready to fold, so I don't know what they're going to do there. Um, you have that, and then you have the startup Pioneer League. So there's a there's a bunch of new options for these younger players and for these players that are getting released. The competition for the one guy has increased immensely. Um, if you get a, I I can't even imagine like a guy like a Rob Wirt, if he was released in today's market, uh, what would have happened? How many phone calls that guy would garner? And I, I mean, he was getting when I was first recruiting him in fourteen, he was telling me all the different teams that were contacting him, this, that, and the other. But, I mean, I, I would say that almost every single team would contact him. So it makes it a, it makes it a little difficult. It makes it difficult. There's no doubt about it. It makes it uh, a lot more difficult. But uh, it's, it's, what, it's what we like to do. It's what we love to do. I think, uh, you know, when you look down it from manager one to manager 12 in our league, kind of has an idea of what they're doing. And I think we have a good foundation and a good lead and a good product. And, um, you know, we're, we're trending in the right direction with our social media and everything like that. I think, uh, you know, um, and this is my opinion, uh, I think we've passed the Atlantic League in, as, as being the premier league you want to go to um, uh, with, the, with the markets we're in, with uh, the type of play we have, with uh, – um, I mean, all the way down from front office, ownership, I mean, you name it, umpiring, I, I think we're at the top of the league, or at the top of everybody's want list in independent baseball. I've always been curious, with, when you see a list of players that have been released, lots of times the uh, stats aren't there, a guy is maybe a 230 hitter in single A in like three years, but oftentimes those batters have come into the American Association and have found themselves, and then all of a sudden you're wondering, okay, what's this guy doing now that it wasn't before, and how did you know it was a guy worth taking a chance on? Well, you know, the one guy that comes to mind is John Nagowski, right? Um, when, I, when I signed John, um, a friend of mine down here in Florida knew him, uh, told me to take a chance on him. I looked up his numbers. He was like a 265, 270 hitter in A-ball. Double A kind of struggled, 230. Um, you know, he came into camp, and I, I, can't, I, I this is no exaggeration. We played five preseason games. I bet you he broke seven bats. And uh, it got to the point where I walk up to him on deck, and I grabbed the barrel of the bat. He goes, what are you doing? I said, maybe you can hold it here so you'll get more barrel on it. So get the head out. Get the head out. Pull something foul. And he got a little chuckle out of that. and uh, um, But, you know, he made one little adjustment with his hands, and he was in the big leagues. I mean, it was that simple. And, uh, you know, I just saw a guy that in John Nagowski that played phenomenal defense at first base, like the best I, one of the best I've ever seen probably in person. Um, as far as independently goes, um, and maybe even as high as AAA big leagues. I mean, this guy, phenomenal defender of the baseball. And uh, a guy that uh, uh, came into the clubhouse, came to the field, ready to work, grinder-type kid. Um, uh, 
those are the kind of people I like. And uh, that's the kind of, that was the scouting report I got. He's going to be the first at the field, last to leave type guy. Those are the guys I really attract. To me, when I'm, when I'm splitting hairs between that, I'm going to go and find someone that knows him and ask, what type of kid is he? Is he a kid that wants to work? Is he a prima donna type? Is he, is he a kid that's more worried about off the field than on the field, stuff like that? And when I heard the scouting report about John as being a grinder type kid, uh, loves being at the field, going to work his, work his rear end off and stuff like that, that's what, that's what made me stick with John Nagowski. It wasn't his preseason performance. It wasn't any, In fact, I didn't even play him on opening night. He was a defensive replacement late in the game. And then the next night I gave him the start because there was a lefty on the hill, and he never looked back. He was three for three. I couldn't take him out of the lineup. The next day after that, he's like two for four, can't take him out of the lineup. And he went on to hit 400. So um, I, I, it's more so for me when you're splitting hairs like that is off the field for me. Um, is he a guy that wants to work and get after it? Or is he a guy that just is, you know, there for the fun and the camaraderie? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, like I said, our job is to try to move you, not to keep you in Sioux City. Well, let's ask you about this, Steve, because you've talked to me about this on a number of occasions. Uh, you take the job in Sioux City, and everybody tells you there's no way you're ever going to win here. Now, you're, you are 48 victories away right now from 500. I know that's a number you don't really care about, but, but uh, 48 away, 565 winning percentage during your time there in, with Sioux City. You know, I, I think a lot of people out there would think, man, your, your opportunities to move on somewhere else ha have to be there. I mean, you're one of the premier managers in independent baseball. Are, are you happy in Sioux City where you're at? And I don't mean to put you on the spot on here, but is this your home, or, or could you see yourself doing something like Winnipeg's out there, some things like that? Or is, is that something you might pursue one day? How did I know this question was coming? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, if, if – if an opportunity presented itself, um, obviously I'd listen, um, you know, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, today, as we, as I'm sitting here today in my car, I'm employed by the Sioux City Explorers. And um, if, you know, if, if, if Winnipeg, uh, you know, asked permission and, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes that's got to happen before they can talk to you. Um, you know, they got to get permission and um, everything like that. So, um, you know, are there other jobs um, that interest me? I, I think that if you ask any independent manager, um, are there jobs that interest you? Yeah, there's jobs that interest me, but. Um, you know, my guy uh, has treated, you know, John has treated me fairly. Um, he's done a lot of things um, for me personally. He took, a, he took a chance on a guy in 14 that had no managerial um, experience in this league. Yeah, I'd been a pitching coach for 10 years and had some success doing that. But, you know, he took a chance uh, 9, 10, I don't know, however many years ago it was. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's not – I, you know, 500, it's, it's the players, the 565 winning percentage, it's the players, um, all that stuff is great accolades. And, you know, that, that'll be great for when I'm 75 years old, telling my grandchildren stories of me getting ejected and stuff. Um, those will be the great stories that you tell, but 
you know, I don't really look at myself um, as a premier manager. I don't look at myself. I just look at myself as uh, as a guy who comes to work every single day just trying to get better. And I think that's how I approach every single day of my life is um, just trying to do what's in the best interest to make the Sioux City Explorers, one, better that day, proud off the field. Um, on the field will take care of itself. Um, you know, I'm, I, my single most um, number one accolade, um, and, and this goes back all the way to 2014 when I took over, not one single kid, young adult, young man ever in trouble with the law. That's my number one, me personally, we've never had that. And uh, especially being in such a small town, if something happened, it would be front page of the Sioux City Journal. So that's my biggest uh, accolade, I feel like, is just no, no, nobody in trouble. And uh, that means we're recruiting the right kids. And, um, but yeah, I would listen. I mean, I'm, I'd be, I'd be sitting here lying to you if I'd said I wouldn't listen. Um, I would definitely listen and see, see what, uh, see what opportunities are out there, uh, for me. But, you know, uh, at the same time, I would tell every owner like I have is that, you know, uh, I like Sioux City as well. Now, you didn't really, you were mentioning a moment ago about you, this wasn't uh, something you were going to dive into personally yourself, but, you know, changes with the team this last year meant a lot of responsibility for you beyond managing the team and, and putting a team together. Uh, so I'm going to ask you this way. You know, Brett Jody told me quite quite the gardener, and Mike Meyer, another guy out there, you know, really worked their yard, made sure they had the best yard around. You know, I'm, I'm wondering with this experience you've had over the last couple of years and having to do groundskeeping and stuff like that, do you have the best yard at your home in the American Association now? Let, let me tell you, my yard right now, I'll be honest with you, and I don't know if I can say this on the air, looks like shit because um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not touching another yard um, with how much I worried about the yard up in uh, Sioux City this year. Uh, my yard can go, and, I, I, and you know, I, told, I told my wife I'm not touching the yard, so um, it just is what it is. Um, no, I, it, I definitely don't, no, no doubt about it. In fact, I probably have the worst one in the league right now. So I'm actually looking, I'm sitting in my car right now looking around because uh, my dogs were going hysterical when I was in there. So. I uh, definitely don't uh, have the best yard, and uh, I'm okay with it. Uh, normally, I do take a little bit of pride in my yard and stuff like that, but nah, I'm good this year. I mean, I've, I learned how to mow in patterns uh, this year. I learned, uh, little be known, I got knocked out on the mower this year. I uh, got hit in the middle of BP with a line drive in the back of my head. Uh, DK, uh, thank, thank the Lord, DK was able to shut the mower off before it hit the center field wall. Um, and it was Gabe Snyder who hit it. Um, you know, I learned how to, I learned how important water is to, to the infield. Um, I, I learned how to use an aerator. Uh, so I learned a lot. And I, I also learned that any imperfection on a baseball field can be resolved with sand. I never knew that. So, um, you know, I, I want to, I, I, I do want to, I'd like to officially retire from my groundskeeping position. So if anybody knows of a head groundskeeper, please reach out to me at your earliest convenience. Um, I have a job offer for you. Well, what a, what a, what a great entry level job for someone that wants to get into that business. 
Oh, it, uh, let me tell you, and and I, I'll be dead honest with you. Like, you will have anything you want if you come to Sioux City. Like, um, John has made it firmly known that he wants to he wants to take care of this field. He dumped four hundred thousand dollars into the infield uh, for a new infield surface and stuff, and he really does want a very plush, very nice field. So, you know, we told him various things that we needed and stuff like that, and it was it was immediately done. Um, you know, we, we took the top dress off two times this year uh, just because, you know, we went on the road and, um, you know, we didn't have a head groundskeeper, so the infield got real hard, real dry, so all the top dress blew off, so we had to get a pallet sent in the next day and then get it down and get it watered, so... Um, what, you know, whoever, whatever it is, turf management, you just graduated. It don't, it don't matter. You know how to take care of a baseball field. Give me a call. Um, you know, my email is Montgomery at the letter X, the letter S baseball.com. Please send me your resume. <laughs> so if we have any turf management students listening in this week, um, I think we've just opened the door for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I can tell you from no doubt about five dogs three of which are active, one's a sloth, and the other stays in the house. It is hard to keep any kind of lawn when you've got dogs running around. Yeah, uh, you know, like, so we we uh, went, uh, one of John's friends, um, no, there's a golf course that was just built in Homer, Nebraska. It's called Landsman, Land, Landmand or something like that. And uh, it is on when if you are ever in the Sioux City area and you're a golfer, you have to check out this course. Now the tee times are all booked up for the next year. That's how nice this course is. It is ridiculous. It's kind of like a little bit of San Andrews uh, tied in with like uh, oh man uh, a, t- a TPC Donald Ross designed, and then compound that with just in the middle of farmland. So it gives a unique experience whole bunch of undulation rolling hills and stuff but the head ground the greenkeeper there uh, actually is a friend of john's friend so he came out and did some soil samples and stuff at our field That's when i learned about grass and fertilizer and all this stuff it was just it was amazing to me and i you know I think as anybody, like, you know, when you guys get around baseball managers, like if you're around George, Kevin, or when Rob's around me, you guys, you guys listen, you guys listen to what we're saying, and, and you're trying to uh, place that into uh, your knowledge of baseball and stuff. But when I get around something I really don't know about that kind of interests me and that, that grasp like how to grow grass and stuff. Like it was amazing to me. Like I thought fertilizer was just fertilizer. It's not. They're like there are coated fertilizers. There's burst uh, fertilizers. There's all kinds of stuff that you can really dive into on that side of it that uh, I had no idea that that stuff even existed or, or, or knew about and like he was taking his knife like he just whipped out a pocket knife like it was nothing i was like oh do you always carry a pocket knife he goes yeah if you're a grass guy you need a pocket knife like well, i looked around and said well don't got a pocket knife on me i got a key though i got a key he's like no you need a knife so let me show you why so he cut out a triangle so i said why do you cut a triangle he goes triangles repair the fastest i was like i wouldn't have known that so he pulled up the thing he's like see this is why you're hard right here and i was like why am i hard right here He's like, well, look at look at your root system. I'm like, 
Okay, he's like, well, you see this clump right here, right? Uh, we need to get some sand down there. We need to get this so that the sand will erode this hard substance, and then all of a sudden you'll be walking like on the beach. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, I just I did what the guy told me to, do. and uh, I'll be I'll be amazed, man. When we got that field aerated, we got the sand on it and everything. When you walked on it, it was like you were walking on a beach, not because of the sand, just because of how soft the grass had become and and how soft the uh, turf had become. And then he goes, just watch a baseball game. And I, I was watching a Houston game the other day, and it was Houston and the Yankees. I think that's who it was. And there was a play down the third baseline, and the guy threw the ball and short hopped it on the grass. That guy told me, when you hit that grass, you should see like a little bit of black and a little bit of sand come up. And I'll be sh It hit. And there it was. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what that guy told me it should look like. And so immediately I called, I called John. And I was like, John, did you see that play? He's like, yeah. I said, did you see the black stuff and the sand and everything? He's like, yep. I was like, well, I guess that's how our field should be. And, and, you know, we got it winterized. We got it everything. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but it's November, you know. We need a, need a GM, need a groundskeeper. And, um, you know, we're looking to fill those, fill those voids. Looking ahead to 2023, you talked a little bit about how you would be looking to build the club this season. Is there, after what's gone on this, this past year, any, any changes in your philosophy that you're looking for? What's the 2023 Steve Montgomery team going to look like? Um, you know, over the last three years, my wind, and, you know, I always say that we were built to be in our ballpark. You know, we've had that talk off the air and stuff like that, but, um, I've really seen a in the last three years a shift in the wind direction. Now, as soon as I do this, it'll shift back and bite me. But you know, I might go with uh, maybe a little more power in the middle of my lineup this year. Um, you know, I, I do listen to your guys' show. I heard Kevin always really ragging on me about not having a power hitter in the middle of my lineup all year. So I might do that. I, I'm I'm seriously looking at that. Um, I thought we missed the production of Jose. Um, throughout the year in the middle of, of the lineup, just having that uh, big fly threat. But the wind has really blown out in one direction or the other, maybe in 45 out of the 50 games, whether it was blowing out to right or blowing out to left. Um, I think on every Sunday game this year it was blowing out to left um, just because we play in that afternoon time. So, um, you know, uh, just going just gonna to be um, maybe – you know, like in that three, four hole, kind of um, trying to uh, uh, get a little more power out of the middle part of my lineup. Um, I'm going to look to add that. Maybe it's a first baseman. Maybe it's a left fielder. Um, you know, that's when it gets to that gray area just because, you know, yes, it would be nice to get more power. But, you know, if you're talking about an outfielder that hits for power, um, he's probably not going to be able to run all that great. Well, now I'm sacrificing a little bit of defense because my yard's so big. Um, that's where it gets to be very, very tricky um, when you're talking about building the team in my ballpark because you got to be able to run to cover the gaps in that in that ballpark. Now you mentioned uh, watching the Houston Yankees game, World Series going on, tied at one through the first two games. Who are you seeing as hoisting the trophy this year? 
Oh, that's a good question, man. Yeah, I mean, on paper, you got to like the Astros. Um, but what Philly's got going on in that clubhouse and the city and, and everything is pretty special. And uh, can the city uh, pull these guys to the end? Uh, it's a wait and see. But if I'm a gambling man, it's down to a best of five series. It's short series. Um, you know, Verlander doesn't bode well in the World Series. Um, you know, but both times, Phillies are Houston jumps out to five nothing lead. How many times is the Astros going to blow a five nothing lead? I think you just got to like the Astros. Um, I think the Astros, you know, it might go seven, um, but you know, six to seven. But um, you know, did you see the? Did you happen to see all the Twitter stuff about the lefty from the Astros and the spider tack and? Um, all that stuff that they're accusing him of and him flicking stuff out of his glove. It's, I mean, it's crazy, man. You can't, and nowadays in this world, I mean, there is a camera on you 24 seven. Uh, you can't, you can't do a thing. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if we can get another start into that lefty that pitched. And I don't know what his name is, but ever the guy pitched second game, um, It'll be interesting, one, to see if he goes with a different glove, and two, to see if someone from the Phillies challenges um, uh, him having some stuff on him. Because, I mean, it was pretty obvious he was going to his thumb and then going to the ball, going to the thumb, going to the ball, and then I saw a video where he literally went inside his glove and flicked something on the field. There was one video where he took his thumb and wiped it on his hair, and then he wiped it on his uniform. And it's weird at home. He hardly ever wears the white uniform. He always wears the navy. Well, why are you wearing navy? Because if you have white and you wipe a substance on it, it's going to show. So um, it, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun. But I got I got to say, Houston's gonna gonna win it. And you know, as a manager, I'd love to see Dusty get one. You know, as, as many wins as that guy has, and everything, it'd be pretty special to see him uh, uh, win a World Series. As a former pitcher yourself, what do you see as a core reason for Verlander's lack of success in the, in the postseason? Is it a thing where he gets a little too ramped up and the mechanics get away from him, or at this point is it just between the ears? I think now it's just between the ears. I think he hit that nail right on the head because, I mean, this guy's making forty million dollars a year. What worry does he have? You know what I mean? Like, and his and his wife's like some supermodel. So, I mean, what worries does that family have? Um, I just think it's more, um, you know, he puts that pressure on himself. And anytime you put pressure on yourself and you can't relax in the situation, especially from a pitching, you leave balls up in the zone and, and they get and they get and they get hit. So. You know, you look at all the balls he threw that got hit into the gaps and everything, all of them were elevated breaking balls or, or fastballs that he just missed his location. So he, I think he just gets ramped up. He gets excited and, um, you know, tries to be too perfect. And then, you know, when you start to put that kind of pressure on yourself, your mechanics break down. Um, you get underneath the baseball a little bit, and then next thing you know, you're elevated up in the zone. And, and, and in Houston, that's not a park that you can really – pitch up up in the zone especially with your off speed because it's so short and little that um any ball up and hit with authority left field's gone uh left center plays little and obviously right field has like a three-foot wall so um very unique park but ball flies there and uh, he i think he just puts too much pressure on himself
Well, let's jump in college football with you a little bit. Everybody's talking about Georgia and Alabama. I know you're an Ohio State guy. Are, are they going to be able to compete with one of those teams to win it all? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, you're going to have a big game the Saturday after Thanksgiving with Michigan. Um, I think those are two very, very good teams. Um, you know, two teams, I, I think that the game, to be honest with you, um, you, Ohio State needs good weather. If they can have some good weather, uh, the advantage is going to go to Ohio State. But Michigan has confidence right now. Michigan has, uh, you know, they just beat them last year, got the monkey off their backs. So, um, you know, that's going to be a good game. You know, the team that's built to beat Alabama is built to beat Georgia is Ohio State because they're fast. They keep they keep the uh, um, they can go vertical with that team. They got team speed, and that's what makes the SEC so dangerous. Is that you know that you think about Big Ten football, and, and uh, we all grew up around that is smash mouth stuff like that football. Well, when Urban came in, he kind of started taking the the skill position guys from you know Florida and down south and getting speed into the Big Ten. And that was purely to, to compete with the SEC. And uh, now, um, you know, you're seeing it. You know, you, you look at Ohio State, they're down 16 to 14 uh, this past weekend, and then they just explode. Um, they started, stopped playing east to west and started playing north-south, and it was just a different ball game at that time. Um, that's what you're going to need. I, I, I don't see Clemson as a threat. Um, Clemson's going to be there in the end just because they play in the all-crap conference known as the ACC. Uh, so they'll be there. Um, but what's going to be interesting to see, and let me just play a scenario out and get your guys' opinion on this. You got Georgia-Tennessee this weekend. Obviously, the winner's going to go from the east, okay? Loser, where? how far does it drop? Okay, that's going to be interesting one. Okay, they drop out. So now let's say... Ohio State beats Michigan, but it's close. How far does Michigan drop? Okay. So now you have going into, um, and let's say TCU runs the table. So you have going into championship weekend, you got Georgia sitting at one, Ohio State at two, Clemson at three. Who holds the four hole right now? Is it an undefeated TCU team, or is it an Alabama with a one loss, and or is it Tennessee with the one loss? Now take the scenario and flip it. Now TCU wins, Clemson wins, Ohio State wins, but Alabama wins this weekend. Alabama goes in and beats Georgia. Now what do you do? Do you still put two SEC teams in? Do you keep out? Do you do you do you put in a non-conference SEC champ, an SEC non-championship contender in Tennessee who only has one loss to Georgia? So you have that triangle where. Georgia loses to Alabama, uh, Alabama loses to Tennessee, and Georgia beat Tennessee. So you have that triangle, but now you have three undefeated conference champions as well. That's the best-case scenario for anyone who loves college football because I would love to see what the college football committee does. you got to pray that this happens because you're going to see where the alliance lays at that point because they have always had two SEC teams in. They always say it's clear-cut, the SEC. Now let's say Michigan loses a 35-34 game to Ohio State. Their only blemish is against the number two team in the country or now would be the number one team in the country, and they lost by one point at their place. Do they get in? 
oh, man, talk about just some mass hysteria. But I don't see that scenario. I think whoever uh, – I mean, I don't know. I, I, Alabama's got to win at LSU this weekend, and they'll represent the West. Georgia-Tennessee winner is going to represent the East. TCU, you got to hope, gets tripped up. Clemson's cream puff all the way out. They don't even play a ranked team, not even in the championship. And then you get, you're going to have your winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game getting in. So um should be fun times. Um, um, but I'm looking forward to that uh, Georgia-Tennessee game this weekend. I think it's really the only game on that's um, worth a darn um, on TV this weekend. Well, here's the extent of my college football knowledge, and it will be expressed by this question I have for you guys. What tradition do you feel is – the tradition of which you can watch happen at a football stadium and it just gives you chills every time. I'm thinking of um, jump around at Camp Randall Stadium. I'm thinking of the wave they do to the Children's Hospital in Iowa. I'm thinking of the whole stadium singing I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty down in Florida. Is there a college football tradition that you just enjoy watching when it comes to the fans? Um, I, I really enjoy uh, the Iowa wave at the children. I think that's very sentimental, especially um, from a guy who lost his dad to cancer. Um, I think that's just so unique. Um, you know, there's always the one at Ohio State when the senior um, guy gets the dot the I, um, you know, and it's been pretty special people that dot the I. Jack Nicholas has dotted the I and stuff like that. That, that gets you pretty riled up. Um, the jump around, I thought I, at Camp Randall when you brought that up, you know, they actually say the stadium shakes when when it does that. So, um, you know, other than that, I, I mean, I, I enjoy the battle of the bands. It, that gives me chills, too. When I think it's Southern and, and maybe Grambling or Southern and somebody, and the bands come out at halftime and they put on just this unbelievable show. Um, you know, that that's it, but you know, if I had to just pick one, I'm going with the Iowa. Um, when they wave at those kids and you see the kids waving back and they get to watch a football game, knowing everything that they're going through, it's uh, pretty darn special for me. Well, speaking of kids, as uh, we are doing this show here, it's Halloween night. So uh, the, uh, are, are it, I think your kids are a little too grown for Halloween now, but... Uh, Tell us your favorite Halloween candy, favorite Halloween costume you've ever worn. We got to hear these two things. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I got I only got one at home now. My other one is actually a freshman now, so he's in he's in college. So, um, you know, my favorite Halloween candy, there is no doubt, Reese peanut butter cup. Um, just no doubt. Um, growing up, my mom had to inspect all my candy, as I'm sure your parents did too, making sure there were no needles and everything that our parents thought there were going to be. And I was like, just give me the candy. Um, but yeah, Reese's peanut butter cup for me. And my favorite costume, um, you know, I one doesn't stick out in my head that I was or or anything. You know, it's just. Uh, yeah, I can't remember one that I just was that, I mean, basically I was like one of those kids, like, I don't care what I'm dressed up for. I need Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I just did not matter if it was a rubber mask, if it was anything. I do remember being a gorilla one year, and I wore one of my mom's, like, wool sweaters. And I remember I lost about 20 pounds 
because it was so darn hot being in that wool sweater. I was just, I was just a sweaty mess. Yeah, Florida and wool, probably not a good combination for sure. <laughs> now, I know you guys should appreciate this. Um, you are both fathers. I was only a stepfather, but I would always show uh, great concern for my stepkids' health when they would go trick-or-treating. I would always make sure that I would grab the Snickers out of their Halloween baskets. They, none of them had peanut allergies. But if all of a sudden they did have one, I wanted to make sure that it didn't get um, kicked in by eating Snickers. Right. I mean, I, I <laughs> uh, my son loved Reese's peanut butter cups, and that was like his favorite. And, I mean, he would go all the way down to counting them, and uh, I would always get in trouble because he would wake up. And, and he got so smart that he started right, and I'd be like, you miscounted, you miscounted. No, Dad, I did not miscount. Look right here. I wrote it down right here. See this? It says 18. There's only 14 left. And, uh, yeah, I ended up getting caught quite a bit. I mean, but, you know, I'm just looking out for his health. Parental tax. You know, you got to get some part of the take, I would think, out there. Right, right. I spent all that you know, gas driving around. <laughs> exactly. You know, Steve, with all this experience that you've had this year with the last couple of years with doing some ground uh, ground crew stuff around the uh, stadium as well, you've always been quite the uh, evaluator of hair based upon stadium dimensions and things like that. So with all your yeah. new expertise, I want you to tell me best hair on the Explorers this last year and worst. Ooh, that and why? is and why? a, wow, that's. That's pretty good. Um, best, I'm gonna go worst hair first. A guy, uh, a, a, a guy we picked up um, late in the year, uh, Matt Pobareko. Um, I'm sorry, buddy. You know I love you, but that's a bad salad. It is. You know, you only see it because the hair is like it's down. You know, he like has some good flow on the back, but it is. You know, it's 300 down the line, about 510 to the gap, and about 300 to dead center. So, I mean, it's back there a little bit. Um, you know, uh, just I love him, but he, and I think he would admit that he's got some bad hair as well. Um, best hair on the team? Or, man, that's a good one because we didn't really have somebody that really – stood out in that department, um, you know, where, you know, and I mean, I, we didn't really have that guy with best hair. You know, I can go two bad hairs for you. The other bad hair, and I love him to death, is, and, 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 and he knows I'm about to call him. If he's listening to this, when it comes out, he's going to know is, is Chase Harris, man. Whew. He got some bad hair, too. You know, he's, uh, he's got a bald spot that almost meets the gap. So, um, you know, best hair, though, we really didn't have one, to be perfectly, you know, honest. I mean, we had a bunch of guys that just really wore the same hair, you know, just the same haircuts, if that makes sense. You know, just short on the sides, a little bit of longness up top. Um, I mean, if, if anything, I probably had the best salad. 
I mean, and I got a bald spot starting to form in the back of my head, so I've been hearing about this. You know, fortunate for me, I'm six seven. Not many people can see up that high. So, um, but you know, we didn't really have someone that really stuck out with good hair. With Jose Sermo back to work on everybody's hair, I understood he was quite the barber as well. He was him and him and Sebastian Zawada could really really cut hair. It was, I mean they it, they do such a good job. They have other teams coming you know, other teams players coming over to our locker room get or they'll go over there and they'll have like ten guys waiting for haircuts. I mean they did that good of a job. It, it, it's really impressive what those two can do with a set of Clippers. Well, Steve, we want to say we appreciate you coming out here and joining us here again tonight. But you know. You're you're a veteran guy, so let's have your final thoughts to take us out here tonight. Well, I mean, uh, you know, final thoughts are, you know, obviously you want to congratulate uh, Fargo for their run they made uh, uh, this past year and and winning the Miles Wolf uh, um, Clark Cup and um, everything like that. You know, obviously I was in Fargo for ten years, so um, you know I think the last time. We had won it was 2010, I believe, was the last time we had won a championship there. So um, I was involved in a lot of victories with that organization, and I'd like to give them, you know, obviously a big shout-out for what they accomplished. And I'd also like to shout-out to our league um, for a very, very classy move uh, this year at the All-Star Game, making Miles Wolf the only uh, guy that was inducted into the first class of of the American Association Hall of Fame. Um, I thought it was a very classy move. A guy who was instrumental in independent ball, getting it all started from, you know, a vision back in the day. Um, and if anybody can YouTube who listens to the show, obviously is involved with independent ball, they have a little story about Miles Wolf and how he, how he thought independent ball would go and everything like that. So um, take a look at that on YouTube. But, uh, you know, those are my two thoughts at the end of the day. I thought, you know, Fargo, want to give them a congratulation, and obviously the league got it very, very correct when they made Miles Wolf the only guy inducted in that inaugural class. Fantastic. Steve Montgomery, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, Kevin, uh, great having Steve on. Always enjoy his conversation and his thoughts on what's going on out there in the baseball world. He's uh, definitely one of my favorite guests on the show, and as we were just talking about, we know with um, we know Steve, he's going to be honest, and he's going to give us some very in-depth answers, and it's always a good listen whenever we have him on the show. Quite a disappointing season for, for the team out there. Uh, you know, this was a team I think you and I talked quite a bit about during the year, is that you just weren't sure what you were getting out of the Explorers each week, and sometimes they were on these huge runs, and then all of a sudden they would drop six of seven, and... I, I, it sounds like even Steve's a little puzzled by where they were at this past year. I think he nailed the nailed it on the head when he said that game one is just as important as game 100. And I think that the, the bad start they had just had them working uphill all year. And I'm sure, like he pointed out, that the guys may have ran out of gas in the last few games of the season. So... You know, I think it would be imperative to the group he brings in next year to try to get them to be focused right away in game one and try to get off to a better start and make it a little easier down the stretch. 
You know, that's a great point you're making, Kevin, because we, we saw a few years ago they had gotten off to a similar start and were able to have a great run down there to make it into the playoffs and make a little noise there. But I think now the quality of that division in particular makes it almost impossible. If you get off to a bad start, you are really putting yourself under the gun when you got Kansas City and Fargo. Lincoln is a good team. Sioux Falls had some great runs this season for them as well. And, um, and you got Winnipeg as well. I mean, you've got to really come out with your A game from the very start. And if you don't in this division, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. If you remember, it took quite a while for Sioux City to pass Lincoln in the standings. It was a uphill battle a lot of the season. They got into the fourth spot for quite a while, and then um, Lincoln had a little surge at the end to best them. Looking at some of their keys for that, he talked about this could be a, a completely different club for next year. I, I, I'm interested to see who they wind up bringing back. I, I would figure a guy like Thomas McElwraith will get a shot here if he can come back and close for them. But um, we we could look at, you know, 18, 20 different guys from what we're looking for this club. And it be interesting to see. I, 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 what did you think about him going with a power hitter? So you, you're having influence on him there, Kevin. You know, as I told a friend of mine last Thursday in the meeting when he said he was using some advice I gave him 15 years ago, I, I'd tell him, you know, if I throw enough crap at the wall, something's going to eventually stick. <laughs> I like it. It's good, good sounding out there. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the rest of the American Association. Obviously, Winnipeg's still out there looking for uh, a – manager for the club in Lincoln. They have a new general manager, sort of a new general manager out there, as uh, Shane Tritz will take over as the GM. Um, and it's and that what that meant was that Brett Jody re-signed for this club uh, this season. Great to see Brett back, and, and, and I was glad to see that uh, having a new GM, Kevin, didn't mean that they were going on to a different manager. We've been known to see that happen, but I... Jody did do a very good job, as we were just talking about, where Lincoln was in a playoff spot most of the year when they struggled, and all of a sudden we're in fifth. They he managed to um, bring the team back together, and they managed to get the four spots. So we'll see what um, Jody will bring to the table next season. Interesting trade this week, Kevin. Aaron Takis, who was acquired by Sioux Falls in the middle of the season and put together quite a year for the uh, Dockhounds and Canaries, sent to Lincoln for Hunter Clannon, who probably had his best season as a professional. Um, two young guys, both outstanding defensive players, similar game. Hunter with a little bit more power, Aaron with a little more speed. What do you think of the trade out there for both clubs? I was trying to figure out what exactly was the motive behind it because um, other than the things you point out, they're two very similar players. Granted, I believe Takis could still be considered a rookie next season and Clannon has been in the league for a little while, but you just never know with trades in this league because it could. <laughs> we've had instances where a trade has been made because somebody became a baby daddy in a in a city A during the year and at the end of the year of City B trades in the City A. So, you know, it's it's hard to read uh, what exactly goes behind some of these off season trades. 
Yeah, you're right about that. And, you know, a guy moves to a, another community, you know, when they want to be closer to home. They've, I've even seen where somebody's sister lived in a community and they wanted to stay with them during the year so they didn't have to pay any for an apartment or whatever. So you, you just never know. But uh, um, should be interesting acquisition, and, and I'll evaluate that more a little bit later on this week with an article. Uh, Kansas City keeps on Casey Gillespie, Jan Hernandez, and Kevin Santa. All three offered contract extensions that they'll be returning next season. And if you're talking about a core group of guys you want to build a club out for Kansas City, you got to like that three. It's a good, good core to build on, and um, Gillespie is – I'm not exactly sure what records he holds with the Monarchs, but i got to imagine that he's creeping up on a lot of, a lot of career – categories with the ball club and who knows he may be the only one left on the team that was on the team when they're the t-bones yeah i mean you're right about that as a matter of fact so riley farrell also had his contract ex uh ex exercised in sioux falls the closer last year did a great job for the team karch kowalczyk had his contract exercised by milwaukee and we had brian schlitter in chicago uh, looking to try to come back and take over that closer role for the club. So we'll see how that winds up working out for these teams next year. And I think that is primarily what we have going on around the American Association. Frontier League, uh, not any uh, major news out there. I'm going to check out this news that they have about somebody signing with the Brewers. We'll see what this is right here. So it uh, looks like Daryl Thompson had his contract purchased by the Milwaukee Brewers coming out of the Schomburg Boomers. So congratulations to him getting his opportunity. And as uh, Steve Montgomery talked a little bit about that out there. They're having a, a, I guess one of the teams out there is, is uh, in the Atlantic League on the verge of folding or did fold. Um, God, I wish I remembered exactly how that story worked out. But uh, I, I was I, reading that it was the Lexington Legends, and I know the team was sold to another group out of Tennessee, but I just. I couldn't get the vibe as to whether they believe the team is going to continue or if those people that bought the ball club have other things in mind. I do not know. Um, I would recommend Googling Lexington Legends and uh, do a little read on it because everything I've read on it has been, from an outsider's point of view, it's just clear as mud. I'm sure those that follow the Atlantic League on a daily basis have a better read on it. But... Um, from what I've been able to read, it just it's really not making a lot of sense as to what the impact of the sale is. Yeah, it sounds a little, uh, as Kevin's saying, uh, a little ambiguous about what they're doing here. I, I had the impression, by the way, that this was sounding, that the team may play next year, but they were talking about you know pulling up the stakes for 2024, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting to be talking a year ahead of it, like you're already out the door. Um, this isn't like you're your farewell tour to retire as a player or something. So uh, I thought that was interesting. But uh, maybe, you know, if you have more information about that, share with Kevin and I. We'd greatly appreciate it, and then we'll talk about it next week. So happy to do so. Well, I think that would I be think, stupid to go into a season with saying, yeah, well, it's going to be our last season. Um, but, hey, come out to the ballpark. you got a lot of neat stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and you and I have been through – I mean, Wichita was watched it. They were still hoping that there was going to be a Wichita wing nuts the following year. You know, it didn't wind up coming to fruition. But, you know, I, I can't think of 
you know, we watched Grand Prairie and some of these other teams. I don't remember any one of them saying, hey, at the end of the year, we're going to be folding or we're going to be moving or whatever. You know, they, you always had the impression they were going to be back for the next season. So uh, it's kind of hard to get your ticket sales going, especially if it's like midway through the year and you're not doing particularly well. I, I don't know why anybody would give you the time of day after that, but we'll see. This, this, this isn't rock and roll. Retirement tours don't play out very good. <laughs> Yes, very true, very true. Speaking of retirement tours, Kevin, I, I, I have to ask this. It's totally off the subject here, cause, but since you brought this up, the, the McRib I'm seeing is being supposedly retired by McDonald's. It didn't, I, I, first of all, didn't that happen once before? And if it, if it didn't, or even if it did, uh, do you believe that's a true retirement? Are we, are we, are we going to have the McRib back at some point? I can't imagine it going away for good because, you know, there's enough people that will demand it. And it's, you know, what's what's old is new and what's new is old. You and I have been on this in this world for more than half a century for each of us. So we've seen fads come in, come out, and come back in again. So, I mean, how many, round, how many rounds of bell bottoms have we... Um, Bell bombs, very true. So it's um, and I think the food business is just the same. Very true, and I'm I'm pretty sure that the McRib was one time retired by McDonald's, and then they brought it back with some kind of fanfare. And I believe they will do that again. Not a McRib fan, I'm going to say love. I love ribs, Kevin, but never been a big fan of the sandwich. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I've never McHad it either. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that then. Well, Kevin, Halloween night, uh, great stuff going on out there in the world, and uh, so how about a good final thought for us here to close us out? Well, you know, I'm going to go in a different direction with it, and it's um, it's uh, league-related. Me and a friend of mine went on a weekend getaway. We went to Madison to watch, uh, to stay overnight and watch a Wisconsin Badgers hockey game, and experience downtown Madison on Halloween weekend and then went down to Chicago to watch the Minnesota Wild battle the Chicago Blackhawks and <clears throat> there's an American Association tie-in there because um, for those that are fans of the Chicago Dogs or those who watch the Chicago Dogs on TV and have seen um, what goes on between the innings, um, on-field MC Jenna Rose is also working in the same capacity for the Chicago Blackhawks, and if you listen to pregame or postgame on the Blackhawks, you'll hear a familiar voice as Joe Brand handles the duties for the Chicago Blackhawks. So it was, uh, it felt comforting, you know, hearing some, hearing a familiar voice and seeing a familiar face at the rink, and then hearing the voice of Joe Brand on on the way home from the game last night. So I think that just goes to show you the quality of people that are employed in this league and just how professional the American Association is that it brings in um, talents such as Joe Brandon and um, Generals to work during the summer. You know, Kevin, and we should say, you, you and I talk a lot about broadcasters and players, managers, general managers. We very rarely ever talk about the people running the show. We had uh, from Sioux City or Sioux Falls a couple of weeks ago kind of getting – Looking at a different perspective of stuff, but but Jenna is is, is really good. Uh, you know, she makes uh, 
a lot of fun out there. Her her little um, part be, with Sam Brief before they start games is always kind of entertaining to watch. And so I, it is entertaining to watch. I don't mean to throw kind of in there. It is entertaining to watch. And um, she's doing a great job and getting recognized by the Chicago Blackhawks as well. So good for her. She had a, she had a Bobby Boucher football jersey on last night. That was her Halloween costume. <laughs> well, right on. Well, we want to thank Steve Montgomery for joining us this week. We will continue on with our series looking back on the 2022 season. Jim Bennett is over there in uh, Australia managing, and so trying to work out a schedule with him 15 hours ahead of us and his, him trying to coach baseball at the same time is is uh, creating a, a bit of a dilemma here for us. So he will probably join us two weeks from now. So I think next week we'll be looking at the Gary South Shore Railcats as Kevin and I continue through the series. Once again, we want to thank Steve Montgomery. For Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Paneer. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association.